This morning, we are moving on in our series of receiving or obtaining our possessions, and we're talking how the children of Israel are coming out of bondage or being delivered by God, and now they are on their journey to receive their possession. It's never that God doesn't want you to possess. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a nice car or a nice house or God doesn't want you to have... All those things are things God would love to put into your possession. But can He trust you in the process? Can He train you in the process so that no matter what He gives you, just like possessions, if He gives you possessions, are you at a place to where you can honestly say that everything I own belongs to God? Does my house belong to God? Does my car belong to God? Does my, if, if you can't, then there's going to be a friction and God's going to say, whoa, I would love to give you that, but you're going to start missing Sundays if I give you that motorcycle and you've been wanting that motorcycle, but as soon as I give it to you, you and your wife are going to haul off and you're going to miss church for a month and a half. So I'll be doing you more damage. I'm not going to bless you with something. Now you can just go get it. You can just go get in debt and do it, and then you can blame God and ask God every week, Lord, give me some extra cash to pay for this stuff I went and got. <laughs> you can do it. You can go get it anytime you want. It'll be there. They'll sell it to you. But it's better, trust me, even though it takes maybe a little longer, it's nice when God delivers it, gives it in time, because He knows you don't love it as much as you love Him. And so... Today, as we begin this, there's several parts that we've covered. Let me just go ahead and reiterate them. Number one is that God is in control of all. That's what he showed Egypt, is that I am God, I'm in control. Through Passover and through the final plague, he showed them that there is none stronger than me. And not only are there none stronger than me, but if you are part of my kingdom, then you belong to me. You are my possession. You were bought with a price, says the New Testament. A lot different than our modern version of salvation where I just got saved or I just got, what did you get saved from? You say you got saved, what did you get saved from? What had changed in your life? What did he take you from what used to hold you in bondage and what did he deliver you from? Or was it just, I'm sorry for what I do, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow. But now I'm saved, so it don't bother me as bad. No, that's not saved. Saved means he has brought me out for he whom the son has set free is free The Old Testament is a picture of the New Testament. So we talked about asking the question, are you really saved? That sounds like a silly question in our mind because people get saved in VBS, they get saved in school classes, they get saved in... But do they really get saved? Or is it just something we've programmed people to walk through and, and, and repeat after me and say a prayer or check the box? But there is a real salvation where God purchases you And God takes you from what used to have you and puts you on good ground. Israel was saved from Egypt, delivered from Egypt, purchased by God. And then we began to deal with the first main part of this is that the first step in the journey is learning obedience. Took me a couple weeks to deal with obedience. And and so I hope you grasp that. We're not going to go back and deal with obedience But understanding that being able to obey, to follow the instructions, to not grumble or complain, but to simply obey, it sets you up for what we're going to talk about today, which is war. The next phase of your journey to possession is can you war? 
Can you fight a real fight? Do you have the ability to gain victory? So let's turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus again. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. And we're going to talk today about the battle that now is going to happen to Israel. The first fight that they have to fight. Up until now, it's just been obedience. Up until now, it's just been, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm God. I'm delivering you. I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to give you a cloud that keeps you from getting too sunburned. They didn't have to have sunscreen. At night, if it got too cold, they had a fire by night. Everything they needed was taken care of. God, up to this point, has taken care of them, just like all of us. There's a certain point of your life that God is taking care of you. You didn't have to make yourself wake up this morning. God took care of that last night. He gave you breath. He gave you heartbeat. He gave you everything. And he decided in the morning your eyes were going to open. And, and you didn't have to fight for it. You didn't have to do anything. There's certain levels. Salvation, you didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to deserve it. You, didn't have, you just had to receive it. You just had to walk out and say, I'm going to receive it. All of that has been great. And Israel understands that. We've got manna. We've got fire. We, we've got clouds. We've got, man, God is taking. If we run into a problem, God gives us an answer. Cut down a tree and make the water sweet. They are leaving Rephidim, and when they're leaving Rephidim, everything is good. They've just got water that come out of this rock because Moses struck it. They, they've got all this food. It's coming from the sky. If they needed anything else, quail falls from the sky, and they have enough to feed almost a million plus people. I'm telling you, it's an incredible journey so far, but war is coming. Look at the person beside you and say, war is coming. Some of you this morning would say, yeah, I, I woke up dealing with it. I woke up arguing with it. I woke up having it on my phone. I woke up knowing it's in the hospital. I woke up knowing it's at my work. I woke up knowing there is a war. So in the middle of all this good, God says, to gain possession of the land that I need you to go into, where there will be giants, there will be walled cities, what you're learning right now is just how to learn how to walk. I don't know, people ask all the time, I'd love to do big stuff, big stuff. Let me tell you, it doesn't start with big stuff. It starts on Bank Street. Can you be faithful? It starts with just, can you, can you be what I've called you to be, where I've called you to be? Can you win the battles I've put in front of you? If you can win those battles and get good at winning those battles, then I'll give you bigger battles. So here's what the Bible says. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. In this peaceful place, this good place, water, food, man. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and sat, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one on one side and one other on the other side. And the hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in, in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it the name of the Lord. The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have what? War. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So anybody live in a generation? You're living in a generation. Well, guess what? You will have a war. Every generation will have to face its Amalek. Every generation will have to face an enemy that is, is designed and fit against you. Now, let's go back and let's understand this in just a few points. This morning, I'm not going to bring a whole bunch of different scriptures, a whole lot of notes in that way. We did it with a lot of that in obedience. But war is very simple. It's not complicated. First, I want to know who I'm fighting. You need to know who it is you're fighting. So we find out that the Bible says that Amalek comes against Israel. Now, who is Amalek? Who is this uh, army? Who is this group of people that will fight with Israel? In fact, this group of, of army will fight against Israel in several major stories. You remember David at Ziglag? You know, when they stole his wives and stole everything, who do you think that was? The Amalekites. When Saul was told to kill everything that existed, everything, destroy it all and leave nothing. And, and remember, Samuel says, why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear bang? Why do I, what did you do? He said, well, I kept the good and I even kept the king, didn't kill him. And Samuel had to finally take, give me the sword and goes over there and kills the king. Why? These were the Amalekites. And all the, a lot of the stories that you're going to hear throughout the Bible especially in the Old Testament, it is the Amalekites that keep coming up throughout Judges several times. Who do you think kept stealing their crops in the, in the book of Judges when it says at the time of harvest, the Amalekites would come in and, and the Philistines would come in and others and steal the harvest. They've been growing all summer and ready to pick wheat. Who do you think it was? It was the Amalekites. So who is this army that I have to fight? Who is this enemy that I need to understand who they are? Well, let's look at it. The Amalekites, or Amalek, is the grandson of Esau. He is the grandson of Esau. And from his concubine, Amalek was born. Amalek come from a concubine of his son. He's the grandson of Esau, Esau and Jacob. Jacob will one day be changed his name to what? Israel. He will become Israel. Esau will become its own people, a great people. He will become a mighty people, the Edomites. But yet here's one thing you need to realize is that this foe that you have does not have a land. If I had time, we would go back to Genesis 15 and I would read for you all the names of the countries that God spoke to Abraham and told him, Abraham, these are the people that live in Canaan. He named the Philistine. He named several different groups. But let me tell you one name he didn't name. The Amalekites. He talks about the Jebusites, the Philistines. He talks about all the Kizites. He, he talks about all, all the sites. But there's no Amalekites mentioned. 
Why? Because they were not of Canaan. They didn't have a possession of Canaan. They weren't part of Canaan. So Israel emphatically is not an enemy of the Amalekites. That they're not their sworn enemies of somebody they need to defeat or somebody on the radar that they are to defeat. The Amalekites were a people that lived in the southern region outside of Canaan. Do you remember when they go across the Red Sea? When they cross the Red Sea, God speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, he says, go south. Don't go north. Because north is the Amalekite land. It's a northern land above Canaan. And he says, those are your cousins. We're not trying to pick a fight with them. He took them south into the desert. He said, we're going to go this way and we're going to avoid the Amalekites. We're going to avoid any fighting with them. We don't want to start something with the Amalekites. But here's the problem, understanding your foe. Your foe is someone who is always simply wanting something more than what it has. Your foe is a part and it comes in three different categories. In the New Testament, we would say it this way, Brother Lot, do you know who your enemies are? I do know who my enemies are. One, my enemy is my flesh. That is coming from the battle from within me. That is, the, that is the first enemy that I have. I have the battle of my flesh. How are you doing? How are the Amalekites doing in your life, in the flesh? The second enemy that I have is Satan himself. He will set up traps and different things and he will ridicule and condemn and try to bother me and nag me and try to tell me I can't and tell me I won't be able to. All power's been ripped from him. He doesn't have any power, but he is the accuser of the saints. He will constantly remind you of your past, constantly remind you of your failures, tell you you're not going to be able to. I've used the illustration all the time where I put somebody in front of me and and I tell you, as long as you keep doing what? keep walking forward, what does Satan have to do? He has to keep back. He can say whatever. He may tell you he's going to get you. He may roar like a lion. He may do whatever, but he's steadily backing up. Why? Because he doesn't possess the power, but have you reached a point in the battle with Satan to where what he's saying to you when you look in the mirror in the morning, are you agreeing with him? You know, I don't guess our marriage is going to make it. You know, I don't know if my kids ever will get right. You know, I'm beginning to believe that my husband, my wife's always going to be this way. You know, I don't think my job's ever going to change. I'm just, I'm just, thinking all kind of crazy stuff and doing. Where's that coming from? It's your enemy that's trying to intimidate and trying to speak and change the identity that God has given you. There's the flesh, there's Satan, and then there's the world. It is just the things of the world, things I can see, things I could have, things that I would want, Things that the world says you will be happy if you drink this, smoked this, slept with this, did this. You just did this, you would find what you're looking for. Do I need to show you a beer commercial? Do I need to show you a casino commercial? Where everybody's smiling, throwing the dice and rolling, then at the end... It sits this thing at the bottom and says, if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800. I'm like, do you understand? It doesn't work. It's just the world. When they get through with all the skinny people in the bar, and if any of y'all grew up in bars or anything, you know them folks don't look nothing like that in that bar you went to all them years. 
Them people throwing up in the commodes ain't nothing like all of them just walking around and good looking in skinny dresses and everything. No, it's just a bunch of messed up misfits looking for somebody to hook up with, trying to get through the weekend so they can spend all their money and complain on Monday that they got to work another week so they can get drunk next weekend. And at the bottom of that one, you know what it says? Alcohol will kill you. This stuff's like poison. It'll kill you. Welcome to the world. There's the world, there's Satan, there's my flesh. In the New Testament, that's how in the Old Testament they come in the form of Amalekites. Amalekites are things that are kin to you. See, Esau, so really the Amalekites to Israel are their first cousins. They're kinfolk. And all Israel is doing is leaving bondage leaving the land of Egypt, and they're just, they went north to avoid them. They're not trying to have a war with them. They're not trying to fight them. They're just like, if you just leave me alone, I'll leave. And you ever pray that to God? God, if you just get that stuff away from me. If you, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not, I just want to, I, I walk around in the desert. If It's okay. I just don't want to deal with nothing. But the Amalekites see opportunity. Understand your foe. Go with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy 25. We'll go there. Deuteronomy 25, and beginning at verse 17. That'd be good enough. I told you I'm not going to try to use a lot of, lot of notes and stuff today. Is that okay? Good. We don't want to travel all over the world. He says, this is Moses. Now, Moses is rereading the book. Now later, God will tell Moses, he will say, write in the book the story of Amalek and this battle. He tells him, and we'll get back to that. But this is him later reading the, the story, and he's giving you more details of how Amalek works. How does the flesh, how does the world, and how does Satan gain advantage of me. How, how does it happen, Brother Lot? Anybody want to stop it? Anybody want to, want to cut it off and end it? Okay. Well, first you need to know your foe. How does he fight me? How does he keep tripping me up? How does it keep happening? Well, let's look. Remember at what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? He said, you weren't bothering anybody. You were just coming out, not trying to cause any problem. And, and Amalek then does what? How he met you, verse 18, how he met you on the way and attacked you from the... He doesn't come at you from the front. He doesn't attack your strong side. He doesn't attack you out in the open. Let me tell you, the greatest weapon the enemy has on most of you in here today is the fact that you still keep it secret. The fact that you still hide it. The fact that you won't open up and tell it. Yeah, but it'll hurt somebody. That's okay. People get over hurts. But the Amalek will kill you. Yeah, but somebody will think something. It'll last for a little while, but you'll get past it. I share all my junk with y'all. It's a wonder somebody even thinks I got an anointing. My pastor Lodge always talking about his past and his depression and all this stuff he went through and all this problems. It's okay. 
I don't mind that. Why? Because out in the open, I can fight it. Out in the open, I can look at you and say, now look now, I need you to be praying for me because you know I, I, I get sideways sometimes. I know, bro, a lot. We got you. Hey, I, I, that doesn't bother me a bit. What would bother me is walking around like, you okay? Doing fine. Fine, fine. How, how's the family? Great. Everybody's good. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you lied out of your teeth. You lied out of your teeth. But that's okay. I'm going to let you keep lying. Because if you don't want to deal with it, I sure don't want to drag it out. If you happy living with it, you happy dealing with it, you happy holding it behind them four walls, knock yourself out, hot dog. Because I done learned that ain't no win in that fight. Because that's Amalek. He wants to know what's weak, what you hiding, what's, what's dragging behind you. Because that's what I'm taking. That's what I'm going to conquer. Here's what it says. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All of the stragglers at the rear. When you were tired and weary. If you want to know how he's going to attack you. If your marriage today is tired and weary, you haven't been working at it. It's not been something of a, of a, of a serious thing. You haven't been going on dates. You haven't been working at it and, and making sure that you keep it strong and keeping, you aren't doing devotions together. You aren't praying together. You aren't doing, can I tell you what's going to happen? Amalek's going to attack. Can I tell you what's going to happen if, if you don't pray and you don't spend time with God? Can I tell you what's going to happen if you don't spend time with him and keep yourself strong mentally and emotionally? Your thoughts are going to start dragging and you're going to start thinking crazy things. And Amalek's going to attack. He's going to attack you in the places where you're weakest. So when somebody looks at me and they're like, well, Pastor Lott, he, you know, sometimes he can be just real straight, real far. Listen to me. I don't want any weaknesses in my life. My yay is yay, my nay is nay. I don't tell four stories to the same story. I'm telling you, it's just always going to be, if you want to know what I think, just walk up to me. I'm going to tell you, I'm not being mean or ugly. I don't want no weak spots dragging. I don't want anything staggering behind me. I don't want anything being drugged along that somebody can attack or something can happen because that's what Amalek, that's what Satan, that's what your flesh is looking for. If it's dragging behind, your flesh is going to say, oh, we can do better than this. We ought to go back to Egypt. If your life is dragging behind you, Satan looks at you and says, see, you ain't going to make it. You're going to die out here in this desert. The world looks at you and says, if this is God, just remember the story right before, that's what they said. Is there, is there really a God? That's actually, I'm thinking, you got a cloud, you got fire, food is falling from the sky every day, and you're wondering whether there's a God. But you can be blessed. You can be, have a car in your driveway. You can have health in your body. You can have a house to live in. You can have all the stuff that most folks would dream of that, that I can go take you to a hospital right now, walk you through for them just to be able to go home and sit in a chair, for them to be able to enjoy half the things you get to enjoy. And yet you sit there in your chair, in the recliner, in your air conditioning, with your car outside, your house wrapping you up, and you've got the nerve to say, I don't know if there's a God or not. Really? You might be staggering. You might be dragging. And if you are, you're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked bad. And the more that you stagger, the more that drags behind you, 
the more life's going to seem like I'm being attacked all the time. I do get attacked, but not all the time. I love it the way Jesus, and that's the life I want to live. It says Satan came. He was tempted 40 days without food. He, he was tempted, gave, took him up to the temple, did all that stuff. And then at the end when Jesus says, get behind me, the Bible says Satan left him for a season. That's what I like. I like to know, okay, I'm through with that season. Yeah, there'll be another fight. There'll be another war down the road. Maybe a few months from now, something else will curve back around and some old problem. Somebody will say something on Facebook or something and my wife will show it to me. And like, did you see this? And I'm like, oh, here we go again. I understand. It, it's it's going to happen, but it's nice when you can whoop him. And you know that for a season, it's like, whew, man, it's just good. It's just good. Bro, I don't want that all the time. Well, you get that when you die. That's why us Christians, we like, death doesn't scare us a bit. All that means is no more fighting. Even though I'm winning, I still get tired of fighting. And one day I'll lay my crown and my cross and I'll lay all that down and I'll rest. But from generation to generation, Amalek ain't going to quit coming. So this is who Amalek is. How he met you on the way and attacked you from your rear ranks, all the stragglers of the rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not. So here's the thing. You keep thinking you're going to scare him. But a lot, I've been quoting scriptures all day. He don't care. Your problem doesn't care. Now listen to me very carefully. There are issues before that God just takes care of for you. But there are certain battles that will require you fighting. You're going to have to get off the chair. You're going to have to dry your eyes. You're going to have to suck up your lips, or as we say it around here, put your big boy britches on. And you're going to have to fight. Because it's not coming without a fight. The enemy's not going to just let you have it. And God says, it's okay. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will be out at the uh, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens here's what it is that if you keep fighting in your generation with Amalek you will defeat Amalek in your generation It may take you 10 years, it may take you 20 years, it may take you 30 years, but if you keep fighting against the Amalek of your life, all those things I talked about in my past that once held me, that once bound me, that once destroyed me, now it's like, well, brother, you don't seem like, no, why? Because in my generation, I determined we're going to keep fighting until one day there ain't no more Amalek in my life. And I don't know how many times I got to fight it. I didn't know when I was growing up how many times I had to fight depression. I didn't know how many times I had to fight some of the addictions that I had to go through. I didn't know how many times. But here's the thing. God said, Tim, I've already delivered you from them all. 
I've already given you victory from them all, but I need you to realize the enemy's not going to just stop coming. It's not just simply you just saying, I'm just going to one day, it's just going to go away. No, one day you will defeat him. One day you will finally wipe him out. One day you will finally push him back. One day you will finally, in your generation, he will decide, I'm not attacking Tim Lot anymore. Let me give it to you in a story of Job. Satan had watched Job. And at the right time when Job was not really where he needed to be. Because he says, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. So what happened? Satan had found a place in Job's mind, in his heart, where he had said, well, I hope that never happens to me. Anybody ever said that? Well, I hope I don't. I hope I don't die that way. <laughs> I got bad news for you probably. Because you keep saying it out loud, I can tell you what the enemy is going to challenge God with. So he'll quit you. He done said right there, he'll quit you if you get that to him. So be careful what you say. You don't want, will do, won't do. You just say whatever, I'm serving God. So Job went through all of this battle, all of this discouragement, but at the end of his life, did he have to fight poverty anymore? Because I mean, he had to fight poverty the day he died, right? How about no grandchildren, children? He, he lost his kids, all five of them, they're gone. He ain't got no kids, right? No. By the end of Job's life, when he's living in rest, and Amalek is dead, he's got twice as many kids. He's twice as rich. And whoever he married to have the other ten kids that his old wife done run out on, I bet she was twice as good looking as the first one. Job was like, it just gets gooder and gooder around here, folks. And somebody's going to say, yeah, but you went through, oh yeah, I went through stuff. Yeah, but Job, you had, yeah, I've had tears. I've had, I've had fights. But let me tell you something. God has been faithful in all of them. God has brought me through all of them. God has given me victory over all of them. In my life, you can say, well, Tim, you, you, you had this happen. Yes, I did. Tim, you went through. Yes, I did. You moved 12 times as a kid. You couldn't even remember your teacher's names. You moved so many times. Yes, I did. I can tell you all the sad stories, but then all I can tell you is now after Amalek is dead, I got twice as much. Things I thought I'd never have. Things the enemy told me you'd never possess. Things the world said you can't get it unless you do it this way. The things that my flesh said, just, just compromise and get what. All of those things that I fought through and defeated, all of a sudden now on the other side, when I'm giving the testimony that I give, and some people are like, I don't understand. I'll tell you how to understand. It's a fight. It's a war. And in that war, you got to decide if Amalek is stronger than the God that you serve. I decided a long time ago that I'm going to serve him like Job said, whether he does me good or does me bad, I'm trusting in God. If I get to heaven and it ain't worked out, I'll see him face to face and I'll ask him what was going on. I don't understand why that never got fixed. So understand your enemy. I could do another hour there. Let's move. Understand your fight. Understand your fight. Okay, so the Bible says 
that Moses looks at Joshua. This is the first time Joshua is ever mentioned in the Bible. Jesus later will have the name Joshua, Yeshua. It's a very, it's one of the most popular names because he is the. That name just carries with it victory and and one of the greatest leaders Israel ever had. So Moses looks at Joshua and says, they're attacking us from the rear. They're just sneaking up and they just keep just nipping at us and just keep, every time they find somebody drifting back, they, they kill them, they take their stuff and they run off. That's enough. I want you to gather some people and whatever you got, you got to know this is not a military. This is not people that, that are trained in military. They haven't had all these years to practice military. They ain't, it ain't like something you see on some TV where Spartacus or something, they're practicing hitting dummies. These, these people just have regular tools. They have regular, so a few of them have swords. I don't know where they got them from. Maybe they stole them when they left Egypt from the Egyptians or whatever. Maybe a few of them have, but this is not a, a, a well-oiled machine military. So look at the person beside you and say, you don't have to be great at fighting. You just got to fight. I found out a long time ago, in, in fighting, you can cure 90% of them just by telling them you will. When I was younger, I was blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I was perfect to be picked on. And I just found out, you know what? If I'm willing to go the distance, if I'm willing to just scrap with them, it ain't as much fun as they thought it was going to be. So he tells Joshua, get your men and go fight. And I can see Joshua like, okay, <laughs> how do you expect us to do this? Well, here's our strategy, Joshua. You just go down in the valley and you start fighting them. Just get to fighting. Fight them with whatever you got, pitchforks, sticks, whatever. Just start fighting them. And here's the thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to go up on this hill. That's does not sound like something I'd want to hear from my leader. I think Kirkland and Chase hear that all the time during the week. I'm like, y'all get started on this and I'll be back. <laughs> Two and a half hours later, how's it coming? And I can see that look on her face like, where you been? So, and, and I can understand Joshua's like, okay, I've been following you. You're the leader, and you're telling me you're going to go up on the hill and watch me fight. Yeah. I want you to go down there. I want you to fight. I'm going to go up on the hill. So Joshua does it. He goes down into the valley, and in the valley, he starts fighting with Amalek. Moses goes up on the hill, and he stands there with his hands raised. As long as Moses can keep his hands raised, they're winning. I want you to notice this. The victory is not because of Joshua fighting. My victories over everything in my life through the years have never been because I decided to fight it. But I have to fight it. Because your first thought is, it ain't going to do any good. It's not about that. Well, it ain't going to change it. It's not about that. You're just called to fight it. Stand up to it. Yeah, but I don't feel like I'm going to do any good. You probably won't. 
because you're not the key to the victory. It's amazing how this whole thing goes on, and, and the key to the victory has nothing to do, nothing to do with Joshua down in the valley. It has nothing to do with, with Aaron and her standing by Moses. It has nothing to do with Moses. Moses can't stand there and say, bless them, Lord, bless them. The only thing, the only thing that is changing this battle, that changes the tide of this battle, is when Moses does this. If he does this, they start losing. If he does this, they start winning. It makes no sense. Well, it really does because in Exodus 9, I don't have time to go there, but he stands before Pharaoh. Moses does. And he looks at Pharaoh and he says, and Pharaoh says, I'm tired of the hailstones that keep falling. I'm tired of the lightnings and the thunders. Tell God to let it go. Just take it away and I will let you guys go. Moses says, I'm going to leave out of here and I'm going to go stretch up my hands toward heaven. I'm going to stretch them up toward heaven, toward God. And it's to let you know, Pharaoh, that he owns heaven and earth. That he owns, he owns heaven and earth. The victory is not mine. The victory is not yours. It's his. He reigns and he rules. And so the Bible says that Pharaoh, uh, Moses left out of the presence of Pharaoh, went to the, to the hill, and there he raised his hands before God. Why? Because God is upward. God is all-seeing and all-knowing. And when we represent God, we represent Him as looking upward. Our praise is upward. The one who sees all, knows all, and is in control of all. And so Moses standing there on that hill, I know what he's thinking. I need God to be God. And I need to connect with God. And there isn't but one direction I can go. And that's just the way. Isn't it amazing when you get into your fight and you get into your battle, the hardest thing to do is to praise. Pastor Lot has to tell you that all the time. Me and Johnny's had so many of those good conversations. Johnny comes in talking about job, talking about everything, talking about life, and I look at him and say, just, just praise God. Just, just, just keep praising. And I see that look on Johnny's face. But you've got to praise your way through it. But I'm fighting. Fighting doesn't make the difference. You can fight until you get too tired to fight and you'll lose. I tried that. Oh, God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to fight. I'm telling, you, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, God, I'm not doing any more of that right now. And I lose. And you have too. There's a bunch of promises we made to God through the years that we're like, God, you know I probably was too dumb. You don't take that serious. What God really wants is, is for you to fight realizing you're not winning the battle. It's the one who reigns and rules over everything, the one who is in control of it all. He is the one 
So what do I do in that marriage? God, you rule it all. And I need you to intervene. I need you to be strong. I need you to... What do I do in that position when life just seems like it's just coming apart? Screaming won't fix it. Even praying won't fix it. I know it sounds crazy. Praying is a wonderful thing. And I hope you keep doing it. But it's no good until you praise Him for it. Your prayer eventually has to become praise. When I go into hospital rooms, when I go into different places, when I'm meeting with people, my prayer can't be, well, now, just know we love you and we're feeling for you and we're just... No. That's half the prayer. The other half of the prayer has to be, we're going to win this battle. We're going to overcome this. We're going to get victory. That's the other side of it. And somebody said, well, what if it doesn't happen? Then that's God's problem. God just gave me the answer to victory. Keep your hand up to Him. Don't make it about the fight. Don't make it about, just make it about me. Keep your hand up to Him. Keep it going. Well, it don't look good. Keep your hand up to Him. It, it doesn't look like I'm going to win. Keep your hand up to Him. I, I, I don't see anything changing. Keep your hand up, Tim. Don't quit. Over all these years, if you've learned anything from me, I may fall a million times. I may fall a thousand times. I may, I may stumble and bumble my way. But let me tell you how it's always going to end. It's going to end with you watching me standing with my hands up and praising God that it didn't take me out, that it didn't wipe me out, that it didn't get the victory, that it didn't win. That's the difference. And what's killing the church, what's killing the church, whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Church of God, whatever, is, is not services, it's not new music, it's not being on the radio, it's not, it's the ability in the middle of your life to say, Amalek is attacking, and it's a real fight, and I'm gonna, how are you gonna win it? We're gonna raise our hands, and we're gonna worship, and we're gonna praise, and we're gonna just give him glory. Am I gonna fight? Absolutely. There was things I had to do in, in my, my past. There's things I had to bring out, be honest to people. There's people I had to intervene in my life and say, look, I need you to walk with me, fight with me. Joshua had to get some men, and we gotta go fight. We fight together. Moses had to get some men to keep his hand. It's going to take some physical effort, but the victory is never through my physical. The victory is always through what God is getting glory in. Don't ever forget that. That's what the battle is about. Number three, your future. Go back with me to Exodus 17. Let's pick up at about verse 11. And it was so that when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Why, why, Brother Lot, do you want me to be open and honest? Because you're going to need somebody to hold your hands up in praise with you. There are some fights that are going to last all day. Several nights. You can't hold your hands up by yourself. It won't work. You'll get too tired. You'll let it go. You'll say things like, well, I guess God just didn't want that to happen. Well, I guess it just wasn't God's will. 
No. You just didn't surround yourself with enough people who could fight with you. I say this all the time. I'll remind you one more time. When God wants to bless you, He's going to send people. And when Satan wants to stop you, He's going to send people. You know your greatest job in life? Pick the right people. Quit being stupid. I don't care if you went to high school with them. I don't care if they were boo buddies or whatever they were with you. I don't care if you got the same tattoos on your rear end together. I don't care. Listen to me very carefully. You better pick good people. Because those people are either going to bless your life or they're going to drag your life straight out. That's how the enemy works. That's how God works. And I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to be as serious as I can with you. And I say things sometimes funny so it catches your attention. Because listen to me, you're going to pick the people. At school, you're going to pick those friends. In life, you're going to pick those friends. You're going to pick the radio station, whether you're going to listen to Bubba Bob or whoever else you want to listen to in the morning with his junk, or you're going to listen to what Christian radio says, and you got somebody on it giving testimonies and sharing and talk about what God's doing. You're going to pick the friends that you're going to run with. And it's going to make all the difference in your life. Joshua had friends. Moses had friends. Verse 13, so Joshua did what? Now notice how it says this. Didn't say Moses defeated him. Isn't that weird? It doesn't say God defeated him. Who gets the glory? Joshua. This is how you are elevated. See, nobody really knows. Everybody says, well, Pastor Lott, he can do this. Pastor Lott can preach. Pastor Lott can sing. See, what you don't realize, you just see what God wants you to see. And God says, give Joshua the credit. How can I do that? Because Joshua's smart enough to know who really won the fight. Well, give Pastor Lot the credit. It's okay. Why? Because Pastor Lot's smart enough to know when he's on the stage, he's going to tell you, let me just be honest with you, I'm going to tell you who really won. And it wasn't me. So when I pick about myself, I'm not that bright or I'm not that good. I'm not, I'm not doing it to be ugly or, or trying to be cute. I'm telling you, I'm going to quickly turn around. Yeah, I, 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 it's great to get patted on the back, but I'm going to tell you who wins the fights. I'm going to tell you who saves the marriage. I'm going to tell you who brings the kid back home. I'm going to tell you who changes the job. It's the one who reigns and rules and owns it all. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the books. First time, man, there's so much good stuff here. Y'all got to go. It's the first time that it's mentioned the book. He says, I want you to write this in the book. We know it later as, as, as the first four books of the Bible. But it's the first time he mentions this, that, that I want you to take time and I want you to make sure you tell this story in the book. Why? Why do I need to tell this story? Write this for a memorial in the book to recount it in the hearing of who? Joshua. Because Joshua one day is going to think, 
I whooped the Malachites. And Moses is going to say, well, let's look at that story now. Yeah, you did. But only when my hands were raised. And it wasn't because I stunk under my arms. It was because God was moving every time my hand. So yeah, you did. But let me keep reminding you the story. He said, I want you to read it in Joshua's ears that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Your future. Let me tell you what God wants it to look like. God said, before you were born, before you ever came into this world, before you ever had to fight the disease that you have to fight or the problems you have to fight or you were born where you were born and had to overcome, before all of that ever took place, I want you to realize before that generation ever come to this world, I already declared war on the enemy. I, I declared war on the enemy. Not you, me. I will have war from generation to to generation. Well, how do, I, how do I in this generation do it? Well, we just talked about how we fight. But how we posture ourselves is He becomes our banner. Before we go into the next war, before you go into the next fight, before you go into your tomorrow, you take the time to make sure that you know that God is who I'm praising, and God is who I'm doing all this for. And as I walk into my tomorrow, I already know that God has already declared war. I don't have to ask God, God, help me. God, uh, uh, help me win this. Help me. God says, look, before you ever showed up, I already had called that a war. I already planned to defeat them in your generation. I already, before COVID ever showed up, you know God already declared war on COVID way before that disease ever showed up on our radar? God said, I, from generation to generation, I already have established the war. I need you to hold up the banner. And I need you to surround yourself with like-minded people, where one can put a thousand to flight, two of you, if you can find somebody, can put ten thousand to flight. And I need you to walk into your battles. I don't want you to run from them. I want you to walk into your fights and realize, yes, i got to fight, and yes, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not the one winning the victory today. It'll be God. Later, there will be a young boy who will illustrate it so perfectly that We'll talk about it for years and years to come. He's just a little shepherd boy and he's going to have nothing but a rock and a sling. He's going to walk onto a battlefield one day against an enemy that's so much bigger and stronger than him. And that enemy is going to talk about his size. He's going to talk about his abilities. He's going to speak words like Satan would speak. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to... All the enemy, everything he had is facing him. Now that young boy has to go toward him and he has to fight. But that young boy understands one thing. Today, yes, I'll throw the rock. 
And today, yes, i got to be on the battlefield. But before this thing ever gets started, I want you to know what banner. You have not come against me, but you've come against God and the armies of God Almighty. And today, He will deliver you into my hands. Sickness, today, He will deliver you into my hands. Depression, today, He will deliver you into my hands. That's my banner when I run toward my fight. Will you stand? what I've said today has registered if your ears can hear it if your heart can see it if your mind can comprehend it because God's revealing it to you then whatever that battle is in your life right now Whatever it is, right where you're standing with your head bowed, if you can throw that hand up and say today, God is delivering you into my hand. That's going to be hard because, man, I'm telling you, brother, you don't know how sick I've been. You don't know the problems. I, you, don't, you don't know how, how everything went this morning. It doesn't matter. God already declared war on that problem way before you got to it. Amalek had watched Israel cross the Red Sea, had watched them from the moment they crossed over. But God always knew they were there. Whatever it is that's attacked you, in your mind, in your body, your spirit, your family. You will have to fight. You may have to quote scriptures every morning over that. You may have to call and pray for people. You, you, you may have to go out of your way to do... You're going to have to fight. But it won't win the battle. The battle was the Lord's always from the beginning. He just needed you to hold Him up as your banner. And realize that yes, from generation to generation, I will fight with Amalek. But as for this generation, I declare victory. Let Him come back 40 years from now and fight another generation. But this generation is winning. This generation is not falling. This generation is overcoming. It's said of that little boy David later. It said he served his generation well. <laughs> he served his generation well. 
what will they say of you? Hopefully they will say he served, she served their generation well. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, for every person whose hand goes up right now, I declare with them victory over that issue, over that depression, over that anxiety, over whatever it is that keeps attacking them, over their physical, over their mental, over the family where the enemy has come in and said, you're never going to win this. I'm going to destroy this. Your family will never. I hold up the banner this morning. I declare as I raise my hand that God, you have already won the battle. You've already won the victory. I'm just walking it out. I'm just realizing that God, as long as I'm praising you and walking forward, there is no weapon formed against me that will prosper in this old world. I declare that over every person that receives that this morning in their spirit. And that from this day forward, until that Amalek of their life is utterly wiped out, they will fight, they will praise, and they will win. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hey. This afternoon, take time, do this again. Praise Him again for victory. Fight until there is no Amalek left. Oh, if I had time. The king of Amalek, when Saul caught him, he said, surely he's done got weary from killing and he'll let me live. And the enemy counts on that when you start beating him, that you'll reach a point and you'll say, well, I don't need to utterly destroy him. I'm just going to destroy him bad enough where he won't. Listen to me. Wipe him slap out. Leave no remembrance of him in your generation. God bless you. Hey, give that old devil fits today.